persistent pursuit of perfection. When you go into the weight room, there is definite benefits in quality of movement. Focusing on perfection on the eccentric smooth accentuation phase and the violent contraction, just focusing on those movements and not just slopping through the reps. Power Athlete Nation, Tex McQuilkin here, the Director of Training and Education for Power Athlete. And John and I are sitting down today to talk about his 10 muscle building hacks. If you're looking to transform your physique and build thick sidewalk splitting slabs of muscle, then this episode is for you. We want you to stop listening to hacks and listen to our 10 muscle building hacks. What we get into, we talk about protein, we talk about sets, reps, volume, sleep, aerobic base, proficiency of movement, everything that you need to know if you're following any of our Power Athlete training programs, how to put on muscle. So these are 10 hacks from John Wellborn. Stop listening to hacks. We got you covered. And all we ask in return is if you head to your ratings and reviews, whatever podcast app you're you're watching on, iTunes, Spotify, and give us a five-star review. Help our algorithm out to beat the other hacks out there doing bullshit fitness podcasts when this is the way. If you're into watching your podcast, check us out on Spotify video and YouTube. Ready, ready. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. We have a hell of a podcast in store for you today discussing all things Jack Street. Uh, Today, as I was getting through a little Jack Street, Mr. McQuilkin stopped me and said, you know what we got to do for the podcast? We got to give 10 tips and we got to dive in and give the listeners that follow Jack Street. And for those of you who are maybe Jack Street curious. For our listeners that may not know exactly what Jack Street is, John. Impossible. Impossible. What is it? (laughs) But uh, Jack Street is one of our flagship training programs. If you're interested in checking out our training programs, go to powerathletehq.com slash training. And you'll see some of our catalog of flagship programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, Grindstone. This one we're going to focus on is Jack Street, which is by far one of our most dominant programs. And the one that is focused on making you jacked as fuck and helping you put on as much muscle as humanly possible without, you know, uh, involving sacrifices, seances, uh, visit to Mexican pharmacies, and all the other shady shit that's going on on the internet these days. Yes. And build. Thick sidewalk splitting slabs of muscle. Uh, I like to refer to Jack Street as the type of training program where people stop you on the street and ask you, what the fuck do you do? Because it happens. I mean, I get at least four to 600 DMs a day from people that are asking, dude, thank you for this program. Uh, You know, actually not uh, asking, but really just thanking me for Power Athlete, thanking me for Jack Street and providing them the foundation to create Thick slabs of muscle where they get stopped in the street and people ask them what the fuck they were doing. I mean, hundreds of times a day. Yes. And so we got here 10 opportunities, tips for people to focus on to get the most out of their training. Mm. So it's not just a matter of showing up and doing the exercises, execution, and then the things you do outside the gym go a long way. So Mm. let's kick it off with our first one, which I find interesting why it's first on the list, because it happens outside the training program. And that is eat enough protein to build the muscle for all the work you're doing. Yeah. I mean, um, protein provides us with amino acids and building blocks to help 
be the foundation to create new muscle. So you're going to need a stimulus to break muscle down and effectively create protein synthesis or the environment for protein synthesis. You got to have the building blocks in place. So I don't want you to try to do any weird fucking reverse fasting. I'm going to fast for 96 hours. Then I'm going to eat six grams of protein every four minutes until somebody passes out type of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Be a human. Don't be weird. Sit down. Um, I know that the myth of the anabolic window is kind of a strange one. When we looked at all the research, it was done on old people. So when they talked about 15 to 45 minutes, uh, you don't have to adhere to that if you're, you know, a young, you know, go hard, but try to eat a high protein meal in that post-workout environment and try to get it in quick and make it happen. How much protein should they consume, John? Um, I like in a post-workout meal somewhere personally between 50 to 75 grams of protein in a post-workout meal. Well, if we're not all grown-ass man, like how much should we consume and aim to within our, our body weight per day? Usually the recommendation is one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Ideally, you know, cut into somewhere around four to five meals. Um, you know, so it, it depends on you as the individual. I mean, you at 200 pounds, I mean, how many, how much do you shoot for at each meal? Each meal? Well, probably five meals a day. So I'm not much of a math guy. Where's that put me? 40? Yeah. 40? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't even waste time eating 40 grams of protein. I just wouldn't. I just eat it. I, just, I would not eat it. I would just stack it on the other meal. So for me personally, um, I'd like a minimum of 10 ounces. Uh, so that's what 70 grams, you know, if you look at steak, I mean, I, I had 10 ounces of uh, Turkey today after training. So somewhere in that for me, four meals, two, you know, 280 uh, grams of protein is what I shoot for a day. So what I'll do is I'll usually do a shake in the morning. Um, and that might be on the smaller side. Then I do my post-workout meal and then I'll eat another meal and then another meal. And then if I, if I'm low on protein, I'll usually do a shake or a supplement or something. Yeah. So tracking is key here. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, whenever we look at the people that are most successful on Jack Street, it's the people that not only track their workouts and they track their macros and their food. So I'm not always, uh, I don't get wrapped out of the axle on macronutrient ratios as much as I'm just focused on, are you eating enough protein and are you eating enough calories? Mm-hmm. You know, people argue back and forth all the time on proteins and fats, but at the end of the day, or I'm sorry, carbohydrates and fats, protein is primarily what we're searching for how you skin the rest of your meals based on, on fat and carbohydrates going to based on not only taste, but also on body fat and metabolic flexibility and some of the other key factors. I just gave a talk on that the other day. Indeed you did. And I, one power athlete radio episode, I got to highlight is episode three fifty two with Dr. Keith Barr, mm, which excellent. we highlight the, the window that you spoke of amongst other things. So excellent episode. If you want to check back that, all right, on to our next tip here. Also outside the weight room, sleep. Yep. Uh, there's a, uh, like we said, there's a couple key factors that when people aren't making performance gains on Jack street, we're always going to ask people, are you tracking your workouts? Are you tracking your macros? And are you tracking your protein consumption? What does your sleep look like? I assume that if you're following the training program, you're being pretty consistent and outside of being able to throw a little bit of fine detail into the training program, sleep is going to be your number one vehicle for recovery. So if you're only getting three hours of sleep at night and you wonder why you're not packing on thick slabs of muscle in Jack Street, it could be that you are not giving yourself enough opportunity to recover by not sleeping enough. So how would you argue they're cutting out their sleep so they can wake up early to train? So if the only time that you can train 
is at uh, you know 4 a.m. and that's the only time you can get the window in. And you know you can't go to sleep before midnight, and you only get four hours. I don't know if it's worth it. Um, you know, I know for me personally, 7 a.m. is around our training time. If I don't get that training time in, it gets very difficult to get training later in the day. I know I'll do it, but I just know that the the timing isn't going to be as advantageous. So uh, I'm not a huge proponent of you know like I'm gonna I'm gonna burn it down in the gym and I'm not going to sleep. I think um, you know and like uh, a bunch of this, I think comes from like basically the rock you know uh, the, the movie or the man the man like he he <laughs> posts these you know hey i'm i'm you know it's 12 30 at night and i'm getting my workout in and then he's posting you know the jocko showing the watch at 4 a.m i'm like uh, like i appreciate the fact that you guys are getting up early and you're getting it in but i don't know if there's any physiological benefit to training at that point in sleep deprivation i would much rather have somebody uh train you know, three days a week, but get eight hours of sleep and train six days a week and only get four hours of sleep. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. So what is also cool is Dr. Kirk Parsley, Mm -hmm. your friend, power athlete training partner as well, gave a presentation to our block ones that we have on the YouTubes that explains this whole sleep cycle and the importance and hormones and the key things that lead to building muscle through sleep. Uh, Sleep actually becomes, you know, sleep is super important when you're young. Uh, The kids that sleep, tend to be, you know, to grow better, to have uh, less issues, to be smarter. I mean, sleep is definitely important in, in that maturation phase. And then there's like a weird phase where it might not be as important, maybe in your 20s. But then all of a sudden, when you reach into your 30s and into your 40s, and you get older, sleep becomes even more important. We see a lot more dysfunction associated with it. So, you know, just because there's the, and we hear, dude, I, I hear this a ton. I used to be able to eat whatever I want and still be in good shape. I never had to sleep and I never had any problems. And then you turn 30 and all of a sudden you start seeing these and you hit 40 and all of a sudden that shit stops. So unfortunately, don't be the 40 year old who's still trying to live like a 20 year old. Great point. Next one is very interesting as well because your uh, uh, views and take on this has changed over the years. So it's uh, build an aerobic base. Build an aerobic base. Uh, I thought this was complete horseshit. I was against it. I thought all I needed to do was sprint as fast as I can and lift heavy weights. And that would provide me as much aerobic base as I needed. And it wasn't until, man, it was maybe a year after I retired when we did the 22 Jack Street, where I was uh, testing some diet stuff and my weight was not coming down the way I needed it to. And I remember reaching out to uh, Marlon De Pasquale and Marlon was like, you're either going to have to cut the calories or you're going to have to do a bunch of extra aerobic work to try to burn through those calories. Because at the end of the day, uh, I think the dude on YouTube, he's like, Aerobic work doesn't burn fat. It burns calories. Yeah, no shit. If you're trying to lean out and you're trying to get into caloric restriction, you're going to have to use some tricks like some aerobic work to try to burn some extra calories. And I'm a much bigger fan of throwing in extra aerobic work than I am pulling out calories. I would rather eat more and do more work than eat less and do less. Kind of, you know, not always counterintuitive. Yeah. So uh, I was struggling to try to drop the body weight. And when I reached out tomorrow, he, he said, he's like, dude, you got to throw in some aerobic weight. As soon as you get done working out, I want you to hit, you know, 45 minutes on the step mill. So I started doing that and I was pretty consistent five, six days a week. And I did that for probably the last 12 weeks, 22 Jack street. And what was amazing was my body weight started coming down to where I needed it. I started leaning out and I started PRing every single lift. Um, I remember we were in the gym. And we were doing kind of a one set to failure, kind of a Windler-esque uh, 531 template where I was just kind of hitting some low end volume and then picking 
you know, shadow set kind of a deal where we're going to pick a weight and just go for max reps. And I think I pulled, I mean, dude, it might've been like, fuck, it was like either, I think we started at 535 and then it went up to 585, but I ended up pulling that at like 535 for like 13 and then 585 for six to eight reps. And, uh, it was, it was enough to where I had never pulled that many reps of that heavy weight. The squat blew up, the bench blew up, and I had literally hit some of my, my best PRs in terms of rep maxes, not one RMs, but some of my best rep maxes that I'd ever hit in my entire life in that while I was at my lean is doing the most aerobic work in this kind of caloric deficit. So that was pretty fascinating because one, um, I'd never experienced it. And when I went back and did a bunch of the research, increased mitochondrial density, um, you know, I mean, there was just all these really cool physiological um, adaptations that were happening because I was building an aerobic base and I was still banging heavy weights. We were still doing conditioning. We we're still doing intervals, but I really saw the value of building an aerobic base. And at that point, it kind of entered all of the programs. Yeah, I believe it. I know it's very tempting to skip those days. Jack Streeters don't. Yep. All right. Next up, I'm a big fan of this one. Primal proficiency. In other words, coordination. It's not how much you lift. It's how you lift it. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's pretty adept at bilateral hip hinging. But when we start getting into the other primal movements, which, you know, that that uh, bilateral hip hinge would be our X. As we get into the Y and the Z, we start looking at primal proficiency and execution of per- perfection of the movements. Um, I get a ton of videos and get tagged in a lot of stuff. And my biggest feedback is always in the lunge and the step up. I want you to control your body weight through full range of motion. So control the eccentric. Don't let in the knee crash. Stepping through, no wetting step. Driving the knee through, landing in a good position holding the isometric contraction and getting into it. So really focusing on perfection in those primal movements. Mm -hmm. So lunging, stepping, any variation that we have on top of there is we're going to put key instructions on our expectation of execution delivered through the the train heroic and the videos in there. I know the model. He's excellent, very proficient mover Mm -hmm. in all of those. And uh, yeah, go heavy. So you challenge this technique. You don't change it. So finding that fine line of weight that's going to push you and challenge your coordination, not too light, right? Not too heavy that it forces you to do the wedding step or lose control, but dial it in. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, we have training around dysfunction. This is going to need a little explaining, John. All right. So what will happen is we'll run into different individuals um, that might have limitations due to injuries or maybe just not able to execute something in their training environment. So instead of just being like, mm, I can't do that, training around and finding workarounds. Like for me personally, um, I have some lack of range of motion in my right knee because I have a bone spur in the back. So I can't get full range of motion. That doesn't stop me from squatting, but it also uh, prevents me from doing some different movements. So I have to find ways that I continue to drive adaptation, even though I have some limitations. Um, you know, we run into a lot like, oh, I don't have this movement. Okay. You're, you're unable to execute this because you don't have it within your, your gym, but what's a variation? And people are so quick to just be like all or nothing and just kind of shrug their shoulders or I can't do this. So my first question is, okay, you can't do this movement. What do you have available? What can you do? And really just not taking no for an answer and being creative because at the end of the day, it's a generals program. I mean, we list 
you know, a full list of like, hey, here's a recommended different items that you should have to follow this training program. And there's people that look at it and think, okay, I can make a lot of stuff work. I can make some changes, but really just continue to be creative and realize that everybody has some limitations and, uh, you know, not allowing those to really just derail your training. Yeah. And don't be afraid to jump on the feed to ask for substitutions or let us become aware of your limitations. So very active on there to, to dial in and help you out. Um, and that's, that's a big part of the understanding of power athlete. It's, it's more movement athleticism based program that happens to be targeting hypertrophy. So if we don't have a specific piece of equipment or variation there, there's plenty of other movements that target the same purpose that we're programming that for that you can lean on. Uh, all right, next up, and also very tempting for people to neglect and skip, especially on those aerobic base days. I know these are paired together. Never skip trunk training. Yeah, uh, trunk training is kind of like that aerobic base stuff that uh, sometimes it's just easier not to do it. And so that's why I put all the trunk training early in the program because I know if you put it at the end, people are just going to skip it. Now, what we found, if you're going to do some form of extension and flexion, you need to do it in an intelligent way, and especially with all the med ball work we do within mm-hmm. the rotation. So we'll do some extension and flexion like seated med ball throws, but just endlessly doing extension and flexion like we saw for the U.S. military just results in a ton of back injuries and more yeah. problems than it's worth. So we're very, very calculated with it. Um, I like a lot of transverse throws, and there is going to be a lot of that rotation. But uh, for the most part, the isometric contraction is really what the trunk is designed to do to be able to maintain and challenge different movements, maintaining stability in the upper body so and in the lower body. So really just focusing on the trunk and then realizing that we're prepping the trunk in all of the movements. But then once you translate to the movements, the reason we're prepping it is I'm asking you to maintain what you learned in that prep through the entire training model. Yeah. Again, building this bigger picture of athleticism and even the warm up may get your chili hot, break a little sweat, prepare for it. But it's also going to help your athleticism, which then will carry over to your yeah. barbell lifts. All right. Now we got a big one, John, and this is this is more mental than anything. And uh, the value of your experience as a professional athlete, applying it to the garage gym athlete that, you know, they're training for themselves, but with a professional mindset, performance for the people that is power athlete. And then our three P's for the athlete, the athlete, three P's persistent pursuit of perfection. When you go into the weight room, I don't, or really just any training environment, there is definite benefits in quality of movement. Focusing on perfection on the eccentric smooth accentuation phase in a violent contraction, just focusing on those movements and not just slopping through the reps. I think we get this idea of like, I'm just going to get the work done. But when you start talking about hypertrophy and especially performance, it has to take another step. You have to be able to expand your horizons and focus on the perfection of movements. If you watch anybody, whether you know you go back and you watch pumping iron or any of the type of bodybuilders, if you notice, they're hyper-focused on perfection of movement to the point where they even take weight off the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, I mean, people like those guys train light. I'm like, yeah, but look at the quality of their movements. I mean, it's why they use a ton of machines because they don't have to necessarily think about the ranges of motion. They don't have to think about the bar pathway. They can just set up stability and they can push. And, uh, you know, there's definite benefits to stability for hypertrophy because you can take the 
the element of like perfection in terms of movement and you kind of being the master of your own destiny and just put it into the engineer that designed the program. That's why a lot of these dudes, you know, go to different gyms and use different machines that have different ranges of motion, different bar pathways, different this, uh, different loading so that they can continue to drive stimulus in different ways. And I know uh, training with some bodybuilders, there was one gym they really liked this chest machine and another gym they liked this leg and the shoulder and they'd belong to a few different gyms and they would hit these gyms on different training days because the machines were more advantageous in certain ways. And it's just about finding what kind of fits best for your body type. Um, you know, I've met people who, and I know this is going to sound like sacrilege, uh, didn't necessarily get a ton of leg growth out of squats. And then they found, you know, this one machine, whether it be a leg press or what, that effectively allowed them to, uh, to grow their legs. So, um, you know, same thing within the chest. I've seen a, not, a lot of people find accessory movements with different chest presses outside of the bench press. So I think it's just being creative and figuring out, hey, this is how I'm set up. These are my, bio, you know, my anthropometrical ratios. This is what my movement looks like. And then finding different movements that fit within your body type. Yeah. And as a garage gym athlete that doesn't have access to the machines, there's plenty of movements that are programmed that provide you that opportunity to hit different muscle groups and finding your groove as an athlete. But still that overarching theme, we don't need machines. We can still build athletes that are muscular, sure. jacked as fuck. Okay. I believe it. And I mean, speak more on the, the mental side of persistent pursuit of perfection. So not just execution, but the idea of us heading into training. Um, I think you have to effectively be able to kind of switch on and realize that I'm going to, you know, pull things out. Like I'm not going to be distracted by my phone. I'm not going to be dist distracted by my environment that once I go in and my set is, you know, I'm under the bar, you know, the mind goes blank. Everything is just focused. And you come, become hyper-focused on moving from point A to point B and back with perfection. And then having somebody around you that can effectively coach you and give you different feedback, it's extremely difficult to watch yourself in a mirror. I mean, some people that are more advanced can do it. Um, and I, I fucking hate dicking around with my phone trying to set it up and, you know, hey, I'm going to record it and then going back and watching it. It just, it, it just adds so much time and, and just bloat to the training. So having a able-bodied training partner that can actually give you feedback. And for example, if you have a training partner and you're doing something and they're not giving you any feedback and you're like, how did it look? And they just kind of shrug their shoulders, find a new fucking training partner. Uh, you know, I want a training partner that's engaged, that's going to give me feedback, that's going to help me improve, uh, ask me to try new things, tell me, hey, you know, on the last set you did this, you, you saw this. Actually, that's engaged in your training. And I, I think all too often, um, you know, we don't necessarily, we, we've gotten... And I think this comes for a lot from the CrossFit stuff where, you know, everybody's doing their wad. And so you're kind of wadding together and, you know, maybe there's a coach watching who's just rah, 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 cheering. And, uh, you know, people, that's why I think a lot of the CrossFitters video their stuff so they can go back and watch it later on because you're not getting feedback in the moment. So we've kind of got stuck in this kind of solemn individual and cane wandering the earth kind of training mentality. And I'll tell you this, um, Probably one of the greatest performance benefits in the talk I did the other day talking about performance benefits was having a training partner, having somebody that can not only push you, but can help you and just be an extra set of eyes because you're locked in the moment. So it's nice to have another set of eyes watching and being like, hey, I saw you do this. You know, this isn't what we wanted to do or my or more importantly, try this or let's do this to try to hit what we're trying to, you know, progress and, you know, try to make you better. So I think having a training partner is extremely valuable. Yeah. 
on that persistent pursuit of perfection. You sometimes need another eyes to help you. Yes. I mean, how many times have we asked somebody, hey, how did that feel? And then show them the video or give them the feedback and have those two not, you know, like couldn't be farther. Apart. Oh, yeah. Big time. Or that, that, hey, can you change your foot set up to this? Ah, that feels weird. Does it hurt? Is this a new variation? Like, think of this as a different movement. I've never done that before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's also benefit in stimulus. So, you know, if you do something the exact same way every time. So uh, I constantly am playing with stuff. Like, you know, for example, uh, since we got the cable set up, I've been doing a lot of flies, uh, especially off of the different variations within the bench. So I know for there's different inclines that I can play with and I play with the different heights of the, of the, uh, up for the cable flies, different handles, different weights, different rep schemes, focusing on the contraction this way. I mean, so there's different variations you can throw and the goal is to try to figure out how to create the most mechanical tension and more importantly, figure out a way to get the muscle to work in a positive way. Yes. All right. Our next three focus on the muscle and working it in a positive way and, Number one for these three, John, we have mind-muscle connection. Yep. So no longer training partners. Now it's just you and the muscle. Explain mind-muscle connection. Um, there's definite physiological benefits to actually acutely for focusing on how the muscle is moving through the different movement. And more importantly, putting mental focus and energy into getting the muscle to contract. So what I do is I actually... Uh, I'll set up with an isometric contraction and I'll flex the muscles as hard as I can to feel the muscle and then try to keep the connection as I move through eccentric focus and then pulling back within the concentric. I'm just giving an example on the flies, but really just imagining and focusing on what I know is happening physiological that I kind of focus on as I go in the eccentric, the stretching of muscles, the holding, and then fighting to bring those muscles together and thinking about the concentric force and then shortening the muscle again. You know, holding that isometric contraction, imagining those muscles moving and just holding into a position and really just trying to create this efficient mind-muscle connection. And how important is proper load selection when the aim is mind-muscle connection? So some of our 1RMs, right, are almost to the, the weight that we can't think about what our body's doing. It's just go. Yeah. So how important is the weight selection with the goal of mind-muscle connection? I think you have to practice it at lighter percentages. So a big part of all of our programming is always going to be kind of period uh, or pyramiding up to a top set. So it's pretty rare that I'll program sets across. And if, it, and if we do, it might only be, you know, three, four, five sets across. So what I really focus on is trying to hit some higher reps in the, in the bottom side, getting a little more volume and really focusing on that mind muscle connection. And then as the reps drop and we start adding weight, you know, you've done it. So then you can continue to do it. But when you start getting into the, you know, heavy single doubles and triples, now you kind of deviate into that reptilian brain and start getting into that primal space where now it's about survival. Now I got to learn to try to move this from point A to point B. And when you start adding the element of compensatory acceleration and violence, now all of a sudden the brain turns off, mm -hmm. mind muscle connection goes away. And now it's just about you and the weight, which, you know, at certain points in the day and certain ports within a training cycle, that becomes very important. But I think you can really start building that mind-muscle connection in the in the uh, in the lead-up sets, and especially on that low side of the volume. Yeah, and the the cool thing going back to twenty-two Jack Street, the the trial. So we try all of our training programs before we release them. We try all the training cycles before we release them. And that twenty-two Jack Street was our trial of this. 
the cool thing, and I had never done a bodybuilding program. So written in there, it wasn't just the sets and the reps. You had instructions for us of what to aim to feel, what the experience that you're looking for with these sets and reps. And now on Jack Street, you write that into the narrative for the athletes to experience. It's almost like you're coaching them through it and they listen to the podcast so they can put the voice to the instruction and just have a little coach inside their head. All right, the next one, and this is something I learned from that narrative way back when, was the value of maintaining mechanical tension throughout the set. Yeah, so mechanical tension is um, its not very well misunderstood, but it's defined as the type of force that applies to stretching a material. So when you think about strength, uh, strength training, like muscles stretch on the eccentric, you know, and then you have isometric where they hold and then concentric when they shorten. So a lot of times when they start talking about mechanical tension, they'll actually be focused on the concentric. So it's pretty, it takes dramatically less force for isometric contraction, especially eccentrics. That's why you can eccentrically load. When you start overcoming gravity, you get into concentric movements. Now, obviously, obviously you're dramatically weaker. You can, you know, put on huge amounts of weight and eccentrically load it. We saw that with Cal Dietz's, um, you know, triphasic program where we were focused on eccentrics and also isometric contractions versus concentric. You can isometrically hold more weight. You can eccentrically load more weight. But now when you start talking about overcoming gravity, then now that's a concentric. So when you start talking about mechanical tension, we're really focusing on working that mechanical tension to failure within that concentric contraction. So, I mean, a lot of times we'll see force negatives and isometric contractions at different points, which are benefit, but all that's going to do is fatigue the muscle. So when Mm -hmm. we start talking about mechanical tension, now we're talking about going to failure within that concentric contraction. Yeah. So let's use some movement examples. One we have featured on our Masters of Movement program, a hex press that gets some negative attention out there, mm. but accomplishes the mission well, here of mechanical uh, tension. Uh, the hex press is not what I would call like a... Um, so when when I look at the programs and when I design them, there's kind of hierarchy of movements. So I put the most like neurological, physiologically demanding movements up first, and then there's kind of a cascading effect where things get kind of less technical and you can just kind of blast... So something like the chest or the hex press would happen at the end of a workout where, you know, you've already hit everything and we're just trying to just blow it out for the last little bit. So what we end up doing is squeezing the dumbbells together, focusing on that isometric contraction, and then holding that mind-muscle connection through the full ranges. Um, The criticism of the hex press is you don't get as much range of motion. So why not, if you're in that same position, widen it, which allows you to get more range of motion uh, by widening the dumbbells, and then you can get more stretch. And I'm not saying that... You know, doing a neutral grip dumbbell bench isn't a benefit, even though we do those a ton. But there is a point for just a little bit of a finisher with that hex press. But really, that's a great one where all of a sudden now you bring the the weights down. And as things start failing, you can kind of rest them on your chest, get a few seconds and keep working that mechanical tension. So I think if you're going to try to shoot for failure, you got to understand load, you got to understand volume, you got to understand intensity, and you got to understand mechanical tension. Which leads us to failure. Yeah. So this goes back to pumping iron. Uh, when they asked Arnold, what was the ideal rep range to put on muscle? And his comment was the next one. If it's five reps and I can get six, it's six. If I can get seven, it's seven. And uh, that idea has been kind of, you know, propagated throughout the world that there's, you know, a different uh, hypertrophy for four to five reps versus six and seven, eight to nine. And while the poundages might be different, if you're training to failure, 
for hypertrophy, the benefits are very similar between, you know, a 5RM, a 7RM, and a 10RM. Obviously, the difference is going to be in poundage. And, you know, and when you look at total tonnage and volume, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things on the backside you now, uh, you look at. But really going in and understanding some form of mechanical tension, especially mechanical failure. So if you always leave a rep or two in the tank and there's always this feeling like, oh, I could have got one more, but I didn't. I think you're leaving gains out on the table and you're not maximizing your hypertrophy. So now how do we differentiate proficiency and quality movement and failure? Hmm. Well, that's why when we start talking about lifting weights to failure, we kind of primarily move it towards a little farther down the rung. We talked about the most neurologically, physiologically demanding movements up first. Like it's a lot easier for us to go to failure on a Bulgarian split squat with dumbbells than it is to go to failure on a back squat. It's a lot easier to go to failure on a front squat than it is to go, you know, to failure on some other things. So when we start looking at like, you know, the hierarchy of movements, we'll, you know, we'll hit a lot of our tonnage, hit our volume and our intensity and our different loads. But then as we start getting into this mechanical tension and failure, I'll tend to use different movements that I know that are safer to go to full failure. Like, I'm not a huge fan of driving people to failure on bench presses because a lot of times people don't have spotters, but all of a sudden you can ask somebody to go to failure pretty easy on uh, dumbbells, floor press, and also within machines. Um, I know uh, using, you know, Bulgarian split squats, lunging, some of those other kind of unilateral movements are pretty easy. Front squats are pretty easy for going to failure. But when you start getting into like heavy back squats for, you know, you got 600 pounds in your back, you know, you're going to need an army of people around you if all of a sudden you're like you know one more you're going to need you know three or four spotters and just uh, a lot of people following the training program might have one good training partner but it's really rare to have three or four especially people that can handle that type of tonnage so you know there's a there's kind of the ideal what we want to see and then there's a practical application of what people can really accomplish and then being able to maximize that at every turn yeah all right we got 10 solid ones yeah to put you in a position and if you've been following Jack Street for a while and haven't been paying attention to these expectations of execution and things you're doing outside of the training, now is your opportunity to start dialing in and really start to see the benefits of the Jack Street program. So if they want to give, let's call it a seven-day free trial, John, where do they go? They go to powerathletehq.com slash training. And they can click on, they can read about the program, and they can sign up for the free trial. When you click it, it's going to take you to our trusted partner, Train Heroic where you can set up and that's where we deliver all of our training programs is through the platform train heroic. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in tacking on a little nutrition bulking protocol, we all are offering 20% off of our nutrition protocols with the code all caps eat the week at checkout. So that's powerathletehq.com slash nutrition for that little guy, but then powerathletehq.com slash training for Jack Street and all of our other training options. All right, we dropped some podcast episodes for you to check out. I'll throw those in the show notes, but everything else you can find online. And don't be afraid to film yourself and put it in the comments in the feed of Train Heroic for us to provide a little coaching and feedback for you if you are training solo. Cool. Cool. All right, we'll uh, we'll see you on Jack Street. Sounds good. Hey, later. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. 
And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!